you'd like to continue your conversations afterwards, and if you'd like to open your Bibles to the Song of Songs, approximately halfway through the Bible, and we're starting with chapter one today. The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. Your anointing oils are fragrant. Your name is oil poured out. Therefore, virgins love you. Draw me after you. Let us run. The king has brought me into his chambers. We will exalt and rejoice in you. We will extol your love more than wine. Rightly do they love you. This is the word of the Lord. Hearing your sister read new ancient East love poetry is now ticked off my bucket list. <laughs> well, good morning, everybody. It is a joy to be with you as we do enter this most beloved book, Song of Songs. We're going to spend seven weeks uh, listening to the song uh, in the lead up to Christmas because, of course, Song of Songs, Christmas. Um, you may ask, um, why are we preaching through a book like the Song of Songs? Uh, well, to answer that question, um, I'd like to pray first, and then we will continue to explore that. So, Heavenly Father, would you be with us this morning as we do look at this most sacred book uh, contained in your word to us? Would you give us ears to hear and eyes to see? We pray for your Son's name sake. Amen. So, why preach for a book like this? Well, we are... Uh, most of, you, most of us would be aware we're in a cultural moment uh, that requires a lot of wisdom uh, in the areas of love, sex, and marriage. Um, instead of doing a, another topical series, like we just finished with biblical stewardship, um, we want to preach through a particular book of the Bible that addresses some of this, um, top, some of this content. Philip Ryken says, the best way to capture God's vision for anything is simply to work through some relevant part of the Bible, letting God's Spirit set the agenda through Scripture. And we think the Song of Songs is quite relevant right now. Uh, we live in a culture of confusion on all kinds of matters relating to sex, sexuality, marriage, and even gender. We live in a time when personal inner feelings not only dictate people's morality, but it can end up trumping their own biology. We have multiple voices in our culture telling us multiple stories of how we should all understand this crazy little thing called love, and more to the point, how we should think about sex, sexuality, and gender. Though our culture is confused, it's evident that we see that it is also in a state of contradiction, where on one hand, uh, it's a quite a casual approach it's just sex. And yet, on the other, my sexuality is who I am. So they say, sex is simply an outworking of bodily desires and urges, free to, whom, to give to whoever I want, as long as it's consensual, no big deal. And yet, you better not speak against anyone's sexual choices or identity, for that will be doing them harm. Quite a big deal. So our culture has elevated sexual, sexual expression to unprecedented heights. It's a simultaneous 
overvaluing and undervaluing of sex that has been so disordered in modern culture. It's been flipped around where restraint has been undervalued and self-authenticity has been overvalued. Into this state of confusion comes the Song of Song, going to bring compelling clarity. And we need something that is both clear and compelling. Clear because the consequences has left the, the sexual landscape of our society awfully broken, broken, ministering unspeakable pain. The trail of heartache, insecurity, family dysfunction, disease, and even death continues to echo. And sadly, the, the church has reverberated with its own sins, hasn't it? The sexual misconduct, scandals, double standards around purity ethics, commitment and marriage. Even when we have sought to speak, there's been a tone definite at time in both what we say and how to say it, sometimes leaving the sound of shame rather than the resound of a savior. So what we need is a better story. As Christians, to be formed in the ways of God, we need resistance and redirection in this area to live out a better story. Jonathan Grant, in his book, Divine Sex, says, Within our sexual lives, our hearts must be truly captivated by the goodness of the Christian vision of life, so that our whole self is drawn towards it, or our commitment to live in tune with it will be brittle. What he's saying is you've you got to get more than just right and wrong. You have to be captured by the vision of God's beauty. Otherwise, it's going to be brittle. Into this world comes the book of Song of Songs, with the beautiful vision for sex, desire, and marriage. It, it, it doesn't come to us with a list of rules or, or scare tactics, but rather a captivating force of a, of a love so compelling that it's going to penetrate with hope. It's the vision of love and sex that both challenges church and it challenges culture. Professor Viles Manpelt summarizes the book's teaching that the, our commitment of marriage should be rock solid and the intimacy of marriage should be white hot. So the church loves rock solid commitment but may have done little to promote white hot intimacy. While the culture promotes white hot intimacy whilst doing next to nothing with any kind of notion of rock solid commitment. We need both. The Song of Songs brings together both of those. So today we're going to be doing a bit of an overview of the book as a whole. Then we'll be looking at four verses. And so because it's a bit of an overview, there's a few things we want to get in line first before we fully unpack the text. So what exactly is this book? Well, firstly, it is a love song. It is poetry set to music. The title, Song of Songs, is a phrase that means best of the best like King of Kings or Lord of Lords of Holy of Holy. This is the, the best song that there is. And it is a collection of shorter poems put together to form one song. This, this song might be what Taylor Swift's greatest hits would sound like if she never, ever, ever broke up with a boy. <laughs> Think of its composition like a music melody mashup designed to be heard as one unit. And since it's a song... It's a riveting insight songs are to be sung. And so there's accounts of um, a Jewish wedding festivals singing the Song of Songs. Those wedding festivals would last up to seven days at times, and the song would be sung. And so um, you know, one writer suggests that we today, in our Western 
culture should consider ways to sing the Song of Songs at our engagement parties and our wedding services and our, uh, our, our reception venues. Um, I thought surely that would be more compelling than the nutbush at 10 p.m. Surely. So this book is poetry. Church, we can and we must do better. So it's poetry, poetry which means uh, this is not narrative. Uh, this is not law. This isn't going to give you um, 10 steps and 10 things to do and not to do when dating or in a marriage. We aren't to think of this as the um, school teacher giving us the talk on the birds and the bees in biology class, but rather a teenage love song that strikes a chord with our innermost desires. Listen to how Eric Orland describes this genre. Because of this, being poetry, the song complements Scripture's imperatives by showing us a romance from the inside in order to help those who have not yet fallen in love prepare for this heady and confusing experience, as well as guiding the already married when our marriages may not reflect God's ideal as portrayed in the song. The total effect of the poetry is to simulate within the reader the experience of being in love, letting us experience through the poetry an ideal relationship and thus making us wiser in our own. It is this way that the song instructs, not by delivering imperatives, but letting us listen to the music so that we can sing in tune. This book wants our hearts to sing in tune with its desires. And we need to interpret it the best we can. And understanding the poetic force of the book will help us to that end. And so, even if you're not into poetry, so you don't have to be into Romeo and Juliet, Shania Twain, or Jagged Edge uh, to appreciate the kind of um, love song and poetry that this song presents. The song's wisdom is kind of, it prevents us from, from disconnecting our sexuality from our Christian lives when it's very much intertwined. We are, after all, bodily creatures created by God with bodies and desires that ought to be understood and applied in God-honoring ways rather than being dismissed and neglected. So the song, you'll notice, will be filled with yearnings, passions, desires, frustrations, fulfillments, distance and difficulty, covenant and consummation. It's poetic force seeking to form in us as hearers this kind of uncompromised purity and unquestionable passion. You'll come face to face with quite provocative language that you'll notice is never explicit, but regularly implicit. It's not prudish, neither is it pornographic. It's holy and hot, you could say. At times, we may feel awkward, feeling like as you read the Song of Songs, you can't quite look at it straight in the eye. That's okay. And we all do recognize that Bible readers will be... uh, Declining requests left, right, and center over the coming weeks. So pray for us as we seek to administrate. That's okay. Now, like falling in love and love itself, uh, interpreting a book like this can be difficult to understand. Every commentator agrees that the supreme, of the supreme challenges a book like this presents to us, uh, presents to anyone who's trying to figure out the interpretation, leaving us all to feel like a 13-year-old boy trying to figure out how to talk to a girl, or a 13-year-old girl trying to talk to a boy. Uh, I wasn't sure if I was greatly encouraged or deeply despairing reading about one scholar who spent 30 years studying the song, 
then hit his, uh, then in his 1,300-page commentary, opens by saying that he'd like to spend another decade to delve more deeply into this most difficult book of sacred scripture. Jewish Rabbi Sadia likened the song to a lock for which the key has been lost. It is safe to say it has been one of, if not the most difficult book to study and to interpret. Because it's poetry, this is where people can run into problems with its interpretation. Now, historically, how has the book been understood or interpreted? Uh, historically, the book, the most common approach has been what we call an allegorical approach over a natural approach. See, the natural reading is love between a man and a woman, whereas an allegorical reading says that the, the real message of the story is kind of hidden in between that. You've got to find it. Um, so historically, the book was a kind of symbolic love between God and Israel, and, and then later of, of Christ's love in the church. That's really what it's about. Now, when you take an allegorical approach, there's really no guidelines or guardrails uh, to, to stop you interpreting it, and interpretations can be as wide as people's imaginations. So, for example, in, in 1 verse 13... When she says, my beloved is to me a sachet of myrrh that lies between my breasts, some have interpreted this as Christ who stands between the old and the new covenant. Others, the two breasts representing loving God and loving neighbor, or the church between the Old Testament and the New Testament, because, of course, example, another example, in one sermon, Charles Spurgeon gave seven ways that Jesus is like a bundle of myrrh. Or famously, Bernard of Claveau wrote 86 sermons on the song, only getting up to chapter 3, verse 1. Have sympathy for his audience, mind you. A bunch of celibate monks. <laughs> the book is complex because 10% of the words are only used once in the Bible in this book. It says about 50% of the words are only used five or six times in the rest of the Bible. So the words themselves are quite difficult to understand and interpret. Secondly, a lot of people differ upon who wrote the book, when it was written, and how many voices there are, and what is the overall plot to the book. Now you'll notice if you have the Bible in front of you, and I encourage you to, uh, there's certain headers that come through the sections of the book, indicating who's speaking. Yours might have she or he, or others. Now, I want you to know all the little titles of what's happening in this particular poem and paragraph. Now, I want you to know that they are not part of the original inspired text. Editors have added them in so as to be helpful to us, the readers, to know kind of what's going on. Yet, some more recent editions of the ESV, I think wrongly attribute certain voices to particular characters. So you might find that some of the, 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 the titles before the person speaks, when it attributes it to a particular person, you, you can be free to kind of sit back from that. That's not authoritative. Now, the approach that we're taking here, we think fits best and makes the most sense as a love story between a young woman and her shepherd lover as they fall in love, court, get married, and grow as husband and wife. The Song of Songs is kind of picture. You, the, the courtship goes from uh, chapter 1 through to uh, 3, verse 5. Uh, their marriage from 3, 6, uh, th all the way through consummation to 5, 1. 
um, and then the rest of the kind of maturing marriage thereon. It's a picture of an idealized couple, not a historical couple. In this Eden-like paradise of love, it's the on-screen romance that we all long for. So there's the primarily the, the, the voice of the young woman, and you'll see a male voice, that's her shepherd boy lover, and there's another voice that comes, and they are the daughters of Jerusalem. We'll see them in verse 4 today. Think of them like the, the backup singers, or the, or the chorus, as it were, kind of coming on in to the song. Now, however, we do see a character kind of lurking in the background of the song. It's a distant Solomon figure whose appearance in 3, 6 to 11 and 8, 11 to 12 is actually painted in a negative light. For instance, the, 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 the maiden tells us that it's impossible to buy love. And yet, that's exactly what Solomon tries to do in 8, 12. She says, my vineyard, referring to her body and her sexuality, it says, my vineyard, my very own is before me. You, O Solomon, may have the thousand. Keep your money. I'm not for sale. His kind of love is cheap, commercialized, non-exclusive. And so each week as we listen to the Song of Song, its, it's melody is going to call us towards true love in all its beauty. The song is wisdom to us, to, to form us in all the ways of love, desire, sex, and marriage. It's going to help us make sense of that falling in love feeling with all its craziness and cravings, and to help encourage those who may have fallen out of it with all their disappointment and despair. Each week as we study the book, it's going to make us think, which way will we go when it comes to love? There is the way of the song, the way of Scripture in the Bible. Or will we go the way of the world? Lastly then, yours, you may be wondering, who is this book primarily for? Who is this book primarily for? And the obvious answer you might think is, oh, this is for married couples. Their language is pretty fun. Married couples who read things and keep things um, heated. Interestingly though, this kind of primarily ought to grab the attention of all the single ladies. After all, it's the daughters of Jerusalem who are specifically addressed by the woman in the song three times. The daughters of Jerusalem are these young virgins or young women mentioned in verse 1-3. The, the, the girls of the city, they're of a marital age and they're listening to their song. Their bodies are saying yes and the woman is saying wait for the right time. It's generally accepted that the book of Proverbs is written to young boys to instruct them the ways to be men. Song of Songs then you might say it might be primarily written to young women of how to make sense of this falling in love thing. And it's kind of quite striking that the young women, you're, you're, you're learning and taking cues from a young woman in her prime. You know, this isn't learning from Nana, who, who might have forgotten um, more than she remembers about being a passionate lover. This is learning from a young woman full of passion and desire, who's saying, patience, then passion, or as one writer says, uncompromised purity now, unquenchable passion then. But of course, this is a book for all of us. This is a book for all of us. After all, the longings and desires in this book move us simply beyond human love. This book is a book more than just about sex and desire. For as 8.6 says, love is as strong as death. Jealousy is fierce as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of the Lord. Our, our loves and our longings are just that flashes of God's love given to be enjoyed and able to point beyond themselves. So if you're here to, uh, this morning and maybe you feel struck out 
or struck down by love and relationships, come and listen to the song. Whether you're wanting a marriage to start or whether you're here praying that it won't end, come and listen to the song. If you've experienced betrayal or brokenness, abandonment or abuse, since God has placed this book in the Bible, it's there for us to learn. He wants to speak to us. So let's let the song sing. Are you ready to dive in? Nervously, they say yes. The Song of Song, which is Solomon's. Now, notice that first line. Uh, there's a little inscription that which is Solomon's. Now, that little phrase is grammatically ambiguous. It might mean uh, to Solomon, or for Solomon, or about Solomon, by Solomon, or in Solomonic tradition or style. Now, tradition has taken Solomon as the author. After all, we know he penned some 1,005 songs, a bit more than Bob Dylan, who penned 600, or the Beatles, who did 188 originals. And the theory suggests that he either penned this book in his early life before his heart was led astray to other women and idols. Or perhaps he did it at the end of his life um, as an act of repentance. Now, though those are nice thoughts, I don't think they quite square with the Solomon we, prevent, we are presented with in Scripture. The, Bible, the, the biblical record, the, the first record of a marriage with Solomon is to an Egyptian wife and it's a marriage allegiance with the Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And that's not quite the girl from the country we have in this song. Listen to also how 1 King 11, 3, 4 recounts his love life. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines and his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. This doesn't exactly make Solomon out as the model example of an exclusive covenant love like the song portrays. And I find any kind of um, do as I say, not as I did, not very compelling. And so, humbly taking that Solomon himself is not the author of this book. Rather, an unknown author has kind of dedicated or, or written this book in the spirit of Solomon. And so, the Song of Songs in the spirit of Solomon conveying that this is the supreme book. This is a kingly book of loves. This is the top of the charts when it comes to songs. We might say, this song is boss. This song is Solomon. It's how grand, how great it is. And so the song starts, and we notice that the heart gets racing. She says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. We are parachuted straight into the desires of this woman's heart. We do not know her backstory. We do not know her name. We do not know her relationship status. Is she there daydreaming about this man? Does this man even know that she's alive? We don't know what's going on. All we know is she says, let, me, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. We do get an insight what she's thinking about though, don't we? Kind of picture a, a music video opening up with this is the opening scene. Opening scene has her pining for this man, thinking about him, thinking about him kissing her. 
and you might think, it is a bit redundant to say kiss him with the kisses of his mouth. No, well, she's clarifying for all you. This is not some kind of European kiss on the cheek, side to side. This is not some kind of greet a brother with a holy kiss kind of kiss. This is not some kind of Egyptian nose kiss that she's after here. She is after kisses, kisses. She's after passionate kisses. This woman knows what she wants, and she's letting us know that she desires it, and then she's letting us know why she desires it. Why does she want him? For your love is better than wine. His love sweeps her off her feet, as it were. It is intoxicating. It is bliss. It is love, and in his fullness, wine has this rich taste to it, and so will his love be on her lips. In fact, this wine, this love is better than wine. It is more satisfying, more life-giving. This guy's love is good. And he also smells good. Your anointing oils are fragrant. His smell is strong and she loves it. It evokes senses in her. It captures her. It reaches the nostrils, as it were, striving all the senses. You'll notice this book is very experientially driven. There is encouragements to taste and see and smell and hear, trying to evoke the senses. You're meant to get a picture and a feel of their love experiencing it all. This guy is mindful of his body. He's taken care of it, or, or at least attention to it. He's attentive to what his woman likes. He, he's taken time to anoint his body to, to smell good, to evoke the senses of his beloved. You know, a young man links Africa, evokes something. But probably not the kind of passionate words that our beloved says here. Well, she goes on, she says, your love, is, your name is oil poured out. So not only does this guy have a good smell, he has a good name. His name stands for his character. Uh, we hear that the, his reputation is strong, his character is good. Uh, the scent of his name, as it were, has, has gone before him. His reputation precedes him. Not as a playboy, but rather as a true, noble, good man. He's well-known, and also he's well-adored by others. Look at that in verse 3. Therefore, virgins love you. The word virgins here can translate young women. So these young women love a man like this. You kind of picture this is the kind of man that they've got up posters on the wall, dreaming about one day. This is the kind of man they want to have. I long to have a man like that. He's the McDreamy, as it were, the honorable guy, and the girls adore that. These young women in the song, they affirm, they affirm that this, um, that this young woman has good taste in men. Virgins love you. They're affirming it. She's chosen well. She hasn't been deluded by love. She hasn't even lost her mind, even when she's crazy in love. One of the things we're going to see in the Song of Songs is the way that community is involved in this couple's love story. The way that community is involved. Uh, this guy and this girl, they're not, they're not dating in isolation. Their courtship and their marriage is actually in full view of the community. Kind of everyone's aware of it. You see, the, the woman needs to have her support from, the, um, from the, the, the city girls and the community. And the community needs the godly example set by the young women. They need each other. She recognizes what other people think of this relationship is important and whether they've given it a green light, which they do. 
So this is how I think we ought to enter relationships. We, we, we ought to be entering relationships with someone. This is how you want it to be. You want the community of God's people kind of aware and rejoicing with you. Isn't it, um, isn't it pretty exciting when, when, when someone comes to tell you that, that they're so-and-so's in a relationship? You're allowed to nod. You can be, it's exciting. You know it's exciting. When, when a relationship's kind of happening and, and things are blossoming, um, you kind of like, they, they go out on a date and because it's like the, the first date, it's, it's, it's exciting when you're in Christian world, right? Because it could be coffee number two or it could be an engagement present. You know, it could go either way. It's exciting. <laughs> Tell me how it did. How did it go? You know, are you guys official yet? Oh, is it official? You know, it's, it's, all, it's all there. Um, we, uh, at our old church growing up, us guys used to sing love songs around girls as they, around um, guys as they talked to girls um, <laughs> growing up after church. It probably wasn't very helpful, um, but we were aware and we were attentive that the choices that our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ make regarding relationships is very important to us. It's very important to us. And it is awesome when you hear about a couple godly couple, a Christian couple, getting together. This guy's a keeper, that girl's a gem. Sadly, I think one sign that, that a person's entering a relationship um, that is not God-honoring is that they, they don't want to bring it before the community. In, in fact, they, they kind of want to keep the community at arm's length. They want to keep it hot, hidden away in their own heart. You know, um, they privatize it. Perhaps they think that their personal choices doesn't really impact anybody else. After all, this is my relationship, my love. The Bible's telling us something else. If you're unable to openly and freely discuss the relationship you're entering into, considering entering into, or currently engaging in, maybe, just maybe, you might need to consider whether this was a relationship that's honoring God. Maybe you're here today, maybe you already know that, and, and you just need help in having that conversation. Please, talk to someone. Speak to someone. Personally and pastorally, the, the devastation and heartache of sitting with people who have, whose faith has been rocked, and indeed relationships and, and marriages themselves have fallen apart since the person that they chose to be with, didn't love the Lord. Friends, I encourage you. Consider the community around. Let them rejoice with you. To be clear, there are some marriages that some of you may be in where a spouse doesn't love the Lord. And the present difficulty that is ever upon you. And so I don't want you to hear this kind of rejoicing from the community as an indictment on that. Rather, the community would come around you to help you love your spouse and to encourage you in the present difficulties that you experience. But look at these young women here. You see their response? They say, we will exalt you, Forby. We, we will extol your name, your love more than wine. Rightly do they love you. So the, the group, the backup singers join in and it's just praise. And you can't, can't imagine the, the, the music video cutting to them and I, I don't know, they're either kind of all around the bed, you know, with a 
Legs kicked up and they're looking at each other, holding pillows, talking about this. I'm not sure what, yeah, that's maybe what young girls did. Um, or they're all around in the schoolyard celebrating. Um, seriously, t- trying to get into the Song of Songs has been trying to get into the mind of a, of a young teen, you know, teenage girl, which is, which is confusing and com- complex at times. Um, that's not to say young boys are any different. You know, we don't even know when we smell good. So, um, you know, it's, it's, all, it's, quite, it's quite difficult. But this group knows how much she values him and they value that too. They know that, that, that this marriage is good, that God created a, a man and a woman for this kind of love. They praise it. They love this couple together, the Shumalite and the shepherd boy. Maybe they got a couple named Shepherdite, I'm not sure. Perhaps that caught on, maybe it didn't. What they're saying is, rightly do they love you. Perhaps the, 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 the young woman has joined in now saying, rightly do they love you, speaking to the beloved. Turn back with me to verse 4. Turn, it's, it's, it's right there. We turn to the woman's words now. She says, draw me after you. Let us run. The king has brought me into his chambers. So she longs to be with him. She longs to kind of run away in love together and finally be together. Oh, you get the impression that she's been waiting so long for this. Just take me now. Um, she wants to be with him already. Yeah, already. This, this could have been months or, or years or, or, or hours, but it, for her, it's an eternity. Take me away. Her desires that this man would take her to his chambers. We see she calls him king here, and again um, here, and then also in one twelve. And so we're proposing here that this isn't in reference to King Solomon. King Solomon, he's referred to as called Solomon. Here, I think she's referring to a man. She's using love language, figurative language. He's the king, he's her prince, her beloved, her shepherd, the one whom her souls love. Uh, Tremble Longman says, in her eyes, he is a king, the best and most powerful male in her life, worthy of the highest honor. She's esteeming her man. He's a king. She wants to, and her desire is to go away with him. And that phrase, may the king bring me to his chambers, She's trying to make her intentions clear. She, she's not after an inductive Bible study with this guy. She does not want to study the statement of faith together. Those, these things are beneficial. She wants to go to bed with him, to be one flesh with him. And the, the best way, I think, to understand the tense of this language is that she speaks of her longings, though it has already come to pass. This is what she's longing for. End scene. Can you see our Song of Songs is a bit of spicy romance? Philip Ryken raises the question, do you think this woman is a traditionalist or a feminist? Well, she's kind of neither, right? This is one of the ways that Song of Songs speaks to all kind of cultures. It, it breaks the mold of convention. See, culturally, we think that, that men generally are the sexually driven ones and women are the responders. But here, she is the passionate young woman. She has desires and she has directions. She's got a story to tell and a lover to sing about and she knows what she wants and she lets her man know. And yet, notice, she's wanting him to lead and to act. Let him kiss me. Draw me after you. The king has brought me into his chambers. 
So she's clear with his intentions. She signals, and she wants him to act. She wants him to kind of ask out on the date, as it were, and to take the initiative. I think two things are helpful there for both guys and girls. Whether it's in courtship stage or marriage, clarity is helpful. Growing up, we, there was a phrase, could you, have, you, have you had the DTR? I was like, what's the DTR? It's to define the relationship. And it's like, I didn't even know we, there was a relationship to define, but seeing that you think there might be, maybe there is. And so um, it's clarity is helpful. Remember in those high school movies, uh, they'd be sitting in class, and maybe the, the girl at the front would write something on a note. She would fold it up, and she would say, pass it back. And the letter would get, maybe you, this was your experience in high school, it, it wasn't mine. Uh, and then the piece of paper gets folded back and then the guy gets it and he opens it up and it says, um, do you like me? Yes slash no, please circle, right? What, 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 what are they chasing? Clarity. Clarity is very helpful. Clarity is very helpful in a relationship. She is clear. And so whether it's implicit or explicit, Women, as you um, let desires or intentions known, uh, at whatever degree, that can be helpful for men to, to know what's going on. This doesn't mean men sit back and wait without taking initiative, but it does mean that, that men can better care for you and know you better by knowing what you want. Well, that's where we'll leave the poem for now. We're going to pick it up next week from 1 verse 5 to 2 7. I encourage you this week, would you read the Song of Songs? In fact, if you're feeling up for it, read it daily. Let the song kind of resonate in your mind. And as you read the song, you'll kind of hear that the song asks you a question. And maybe the question that we ask right now is, how's your love life? How is your love life? You see, for, for the married couples, what the Song of Song wants to do is, the Song of Song wants to, to warm things up. Now, depending on the temperature right now in your marriage, this might mean different things. Some of you, the Song of Songs is going to simply first help to let things defrost. Perhaps your marriage has been cold. Perhaps it's been cold for a while. Perhaps there's problems and difficulties put on ice and you're just not sure what to do with it. You're not even sure how to have the conversations about it. Song of Song wants to come along. Sure, sure you'd like the temperature to be hotter, but you're actually not sure if the relationship's going to remain intact. Maybe warming things up for you just, just starts in, in opening the channels of conversation again. Opening the channels of conversation. Maybe seeking to share small compliments. Beginning to deal with difficulties. Or, or just remembering the warmth you had at first. As you remember together the warmth of Christ again. For the single people... I know that this book, this book does turn up the heat in parts, whether you're single and young or whether you're single and uh, have a spouse who has died or uh, divorced. That The book kind of turns, things, uh, turns up uh, the heat in parts. The, the, the kind of message from the young woman will be to, to, to cool it down, uh, to, to not awaken love before it's time, to, to wait for the right time with, with the right person, patience, then passion. Let, let this book form you to be the, the godly guy worthy of being desired. You know, the guy that's being desired by this girl is worthy of being desired. Seek to the, let the song sit on you so you would be that kind of a man. 
and women to be the godly woman who desires the right things in the right time. But thirdly, for all of us, I'd hope we'd see the, the goodness of desire. Even sexual desire in covenant love with all its longings and intensity, we don't need to be sheepish about this, but rather celebrate it. And as we celebrate it, we'll see that this desire is but a foretaste of the kind of covenantal love that God has towards his people. Whilst I don't think the book should be interpreted allegorically, there is a trajectory that helps us think of Christ. The mystery of marriage, after all, really just is a picture of the mystery of the gospel, God's love for his church. This is the way that God has been. The big story of the Bible comes to, comes to us. And God comes early since the very beginning. God was referred to as the husband of Israel. Isaiah 54.5 says, For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And the Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. The God of the whole earth he is called. It's okay, God is the, the husband of the, the church, of God's people, of Israel. How did Israel go in her response to Yahweh as husband? Well, sadly, she proved not to be a faithful wife, but rather was an adulterous spouse. She chased after other lovers, committed spiritually adultery, committed spiritual adultery and forsook her true love. She, she lived out the sins of her forefather, Adam whose lust of the heart collapsed the beauty that was in the Garden of Eden. And since then, there's been this longing to get back to Eden, to get back to the beauty, to get back to the love, to get back, into, back to that naked and unashamed, fully known and fully loved. These lovers are, are so dang perfect. If you read this, you'll be like, where's the mistake they made? They're so perfect. They're so ideal. Well, friends, Please don't be cynical with that kind of... If you see that, don't be cynical in response and go, that's too good to be true. In one sense, it is too good to be true. Because all of our marriages, all of our relationships will fall short of what the Song of Song presents. Because it's trying to, it's trying to I think, form in us an ache for a deeper love, a truer love, a purer love, a more committed love, a more intense love. A love that came in human form through Jesus Christ. John the Baptist announced and said, this is the bridegroom, Jesus of Nazareth. He was the best man introducing him. Christ comes to us. And he fulfilled um, his commitment of a rock-solid, rock-solid commitment and passionate, zealous love for his church by laying down his life for those whom he loved so that they may be loved and that they may live. And then when Christ ascended, he sent his spirit and John, the Spirit's doing now in the church is washing the church pure by the Word of God, sanctifying us, preparing us like a bride for the day when Christ will return, when we will see Him in glory. And on that day, when the kingdom will be consummated, the saints will partake in the great wedding feast. We're all caught up in the grand love story of God's love with His people throughout history. This is the longings that Song of Songs ultimately wants to point us to. This is what our sexual desires um, and our understanding of marriages is for. It's, it's pointing us to something beyond itself. It's saying, look over here. This is good, but this is just a shadow of the substance which is to come. Glenn Harrison, a psychiatrist and author of A Better Story, says, Sexual desire is our inbuilt homing instinct for the divine a kind of navigation aid showing us the way home. 
We could think of it as a form of body language. Our bodies talk to us about a greater reality of fulfillment and eternal blessing and urges us to go there. Friends, brothers and sisters, go there. Whether you're single or married, ache for the better kind of love, the the truer love. Given that people won't be married in heaven, and given that sex is a symbol of marriage, there's something greater than sex that awaits all of us, the truer, ultimate reality. You see, human romantic love is a good thing, isn't it? It's a good thing, but it's not an ultimate thing. It's a beautiful thing, but it's not a perfect thing. It's a true thing, but it's not an eternal thing. The covenant love of God, the very flame of the Lord is perfect. It is true, eternal, and ultimate. So wherever you find yourself this morning, come and receive from the Song of Songs. Come and receive God's love. If your marriage feels dull or even on life support, Song of Songs wants you to hear its sweet melody and know there is hope. If it's going well, it wants to firm up the foundations and turn up the temperature. Those whose history here might be marked by sexual sin, will you feel the pains uh, and brokenness and shame of abuse or abandonment done to you or actions that you've done to others, come and listen to the song and hear a better song. There is hope. For those of you trying to navigate the, the tricky waters of dating and to date, to date rightly or, or to enter courtship, whatever you want to call it, come, come and listen to the song. Listen to their wisdom. For those of you who live with unfulfilled desire, let the song point you to longings which are out of this world. At Christ's return, the shadow will give way to substance. The book asks us at one level, how's your love life? At another level, it's going to ask us, how is your loving communion with God? How is your loving communion with God? Is it marked by an intensity and an intimacy really want to know him, to be swept up in his love, to receive his love, to grow an understanding of who he is. Song of Songs is going to call you to be swept up into this love, stirring your desires for it. Let the song sing to us. Church, prepare to fall in love with the couple. Prepare to fall in love with their love, prepare to choose love, because ultimately it's not an accident. It's a choice. Hear then these final words from Eric Orland. There's always springtime in the Song of Songs, and as long as the reader lingers, it is springtime for us as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of your love. Thank you for your rock-solid commitment to your people and your unquenchable passion for them. Would you help us as God's people be formed in your ways to live out the better story we're hearing? Would this melody be sweet to our ears? 
Lift us out of any shame or condemnation. Set us on the path of that which is true, good, and ultimately satisfying. We pray this thing in Jesus' name. Amen.